This episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Podcorn. Christian, we know life as a podcaster isn't easy. Monetizing your small independent podcast can lead to nothing but heartbreak and frustration. We didn't even know the first place to start and how to approach these companies. But then we found Podcorn, a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. Damn it, with Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do. And Christian, I love their mission statement. To give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they monetize. Click the link in our show notes to sign up for Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. Podcorn, connecting unique voices to unique brands. Welcome, nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly Track. Now locating Rogue's Gallery. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling, and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's episode, we've got a review for The Batman. And we'll also be breaking down our first teaser trailer for the upcoming Obi-Wan series. And of course, we'll be giving you our review of AEW Revolution. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, first up, unfortunately, we've got major DC film delays. Of course, we gotta start with the bad news first with Warner Brothers' massive delays. This year was supposed to be DC's Year of Heroes, but Aquaman 2 and The Flash have been delayed into 2023 due to COVID complications with the visual effects team. The originally December release of Aquaman 2 has been pushed to March 17th, 2023, while the Flash film that was set for November 4th has been pushed all the way into summer for June 23rd, 2023. Black Adam is also being pushed back a couple months to October 21st, however, that is not the only magical DC character coming this year, as Shazam! Fury of the Gods has been brought into 2022 with a December release. So there will be still plenty of shouting Shazam! in 2022 for you. So man, I, that, I mean, there's no other way of saying it, but that, that just sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that Flash film was probably one of my more anticipated films of the year. So um, unfortunately right now, it's just kind of par for the course. Uh, you know, people are still dealing with the effects of, you know, the pandemic. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if on the other side of the fence with Marvel, if we see some delays also. So if there's one thing that, you know, COVID has taught us is patience, I guess. It's just crazy that the day after I went to go see the Batman, all these delays happened. I mean, they were still showing that little like promo video of 2022 is belongs to DC, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we're going to be getting the Shazam film, um, which we weren't expecting. 
And, you know, Black Adam is still on the slate. Just push back a couple of months, you know, which I, I'm also looking really forward to the Black Adam. Exactly. Trying to be positive here. Uh -huh. <laughs> Man, that sucks. <laughs> Did they mention anything about Batgirl? Because I thought Batgirl was supposed to be coming out later on this year. Yeah, no word on Batgirl just yet. Uh, it's still slated for 2022, so I hope it sticks around, but you never know. Maybe it has less, you know, visual effects it needs because it's more of a grounded hero. I'm wondering if the Flash delay will affect the Batgirl delay because Michael Keaton was supposed to first show up in the Flash film. True. You know, so, you know, are those stories kind of interconnected or is it okay to have the Batgirl film debut first and then the Flash film? So I wouldn't be surprised if it does end up getting delayed. Did you see the footage of, uh, you know, her riding the bike through the streets and like the flamethrowers behind her? I, yes, yes, yes. Pretty awesome. <laughs> it got me really excited for the film. I, I uh -huh. won't lie. So, um, yeah, I mean, regardless, it's definitely shaping up to be an exciting couple years for DC. We just might once again have to be a little more patient. <laughs> so up next, we've got spinoff series news for the Batman. Matt Reeves, Dylan Clark, Colin Farrell, and Lauren LaFranc are set as executive producers in the now HBO Max ordered series, The Penguin. Lauren LaFranc, who wrote and produced on shows like Chuck and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., will also write and work as a showrunner on the upcoming Penguin series. With the Batman bringing in 258 million globally in its first weekend, of course HBO Max is excited to pick up this series, and Colin Farrell was absolutely fantastic in the Batman. I'm definitely interested in seeing where it will be going, you know, based off, you know, how the film ended. Not going to, you know, spoil anything here though. On top of that, we also got an update from Matt Reeves on the GCPD spinoff that was also coming to HBO Max. In their time working on this prequel series for the Batman, it seems that they have kind of changed direction a bit and are now kind of focusing more on Arkham Asylum and creating a more horror-centric series. Matt Reeves in an interview stated that the GCPD thing, that story, has kind of evolved. We've actually now been moving more into the realm of exactly what would happen in the world of Arkham, as it, you know, it relates to coming off of our film and some of the characters, again in their origins, that you would almost leaning into the idea of it's like a horror movie or a haunted house that is Arkham. The idea of, again, the way that Gotham is a character in the movie, I really want Arkham to exist as a character, so that you go into this environment and encounter these characters in a way that feels really fresh. Hey man, I'm not gonna lie, like I wasn't too high on the whole like, you know, GCPD, you know, series anyway. I felt like we just did Gotham a couple years uh -huh. ago. <laughs> so like an Arkham Asylum, like anthology series, Sounds fantastic, um, especially if it's something set up where we're being introduced to new villains and their origins and, you know, villains that wouldn't necessarily make it to the big screen. I mean, give me that, like Professor Pig or something like that, right? Like mm -hmm. where maybe you have a doctor character who's discovering all these different patients' origin stories, you know, in like therapeutic sessions. So it just, I mean, lends to like great storytelling and something I'd be really excited to see. No, exactly. I mean, you can tell that Reeves has an appreciation for the books and everything that came before. So it, it 
I feel like there's definitely some leads in there. I mean, you could have fucking Hugo Strange manipulating these people. You could have, you know, introductions to almost like Harley if you wanted. Yeah. I mean, I, I doubt that they would do it because, you know, she's so popular right now with her current actress. But <laughs> well, I, I think at this point with the DC Universe, like fans wouldn't be thrown off if they introduce like another version of Harley Quinn, mm. you know, for this universe, because you could really tell her origin story also like, you know, as the series progresses, you know, if she mm. is a doctor at the asylum, you know, and then she slowly goes mad, especially if they, you know, have her introduced to, you know, Mr. J. So for the next story, we've got a rumor that Blade's MCU debut is reportedly happening on Disney Plus and not in theaters. So it seems Blade could be coming to the Werewolf by Night Halloween special ahead of his film, as reported by unnamed sources over at the Cosmic Circus. And while Lil is known for the, you know, plan for the actual appearance of Blade, they speculated similar to Blade's voice appearing in The Eternals that he could be recruiting the rumored Jake Gomez, similar to how Blade approached Kit Harrington's Black Knight in the end of The Eternals. You know, personally, I'm interested in them, you know, exploring the more, you know, supernatural side of Marvel, especially with projects like Doctor Strange and Moon Knight seeming to take a kind of darker dip in the MCU altogether. And I also think it's a cool idea to kind of be building up Blade and kind of putting this team around him um, as, you know, something maybe he'll be able to train these other characters in how to fight monsters. I mean, I think it's a great idea and I'd love to see it. Although I always saw like Doctor Strange in that like leadership role, like playing almost like a Giles like character, like, you know, Buffy's Watcher, um, you know, mm. putting together the team and setting them off on missions. Um, but, you know, Blade works also. I mean, who's to say that, you know, Doctor Strange isn't going to get involved in this film? Everything is so goddamn tied together at this point. <laughs> yeah. And if they end up doing a team, I wouldn't be surprised if like Ghost Rider and Moon Knight are part of it. I mean, it only makes sense. In other Marvel news, Deadpool 3 looks to sign on director Sean Levy. Levy, known for working with, you know, Ryan Reynolds on films like The Atom Project and most recently Free Guy, could potentially work together again on this project. Levy in the past has actually claimed that he wants to do a film with both Jackman and Reynolds, so what better way to bring those two together than in an X-Men centric film? But only time will tell if this is even the direction Marvel wants to go with as a director. He's just currently in talks for the position. So for our next story, we have Florence Pugh in talks to join the Dune sequel. Breakout star Florence Pugh is continuing to make an impact in the film world after great performances in films like Midsummer and Black Widow. Now being reported by Hollywood Reporter, the actress is in talks to star in the second part of Dune as Princess Irulion, daughter to the Emperor Shaddam IV, who is a key figure in the Dune books. The casting is not set just yet though, as there may be a scheduling conflict as Pugh may be set to play Madonna in an upcoming biopic. I don't really know much about the character, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen the Dune movie, which came out in the 80s, and I've never read the books, you know, which came out in like the 60s. So, but I was a fan of what Villeneuve did, you know, with his films. So I'm really looking forward to this. Kind of want to see that Madonna film, though. I, I feel like she'd do great in that. <laughs> I always knew you were a material girl, Christian. Oh, always. <laughs> And lastly, we have a God of War television series in the works at Amazon. 
Ever since the announcement of the Uncharted film and The Last of Us series, I've been kind of thinking about what would be, you know, the next best Sony project if there were to be any more of them. One that's been at the top of my list has definitely been God of War. Well, my hopes may have actually been partially answered by a report from Deadline that claims Amazon Prime is in talks to do a live action series of God of War. Right now, it's being reported that Mark Fergus and Hawk Otsby of Amazon Prime series The Expanse are set as executive producers, along with Wheel of Time showrunner Rafe Judkins. While there's no details on story just yet, my theory is that it may be easier to do a series based off the more recent games, where you could kind of show glimpses of his, you know, Olympic-destroying past and focus on a father-son dynamic that might work off and play off better for, you know, casual audiences. But it sure would be cool as hell to see angry Kratos, you know, killing all the Greek gods. I just don't know if that's going to, you know, captivate a lot of audiences. But at the same time, fuck it, I, I, I would love to see the absolute carnage of those games really play out on screen. That would be amazing. So Christian, who would you like to see casted as Kratos? Well, per usual, I want Idris Elba, of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, just right now. Um, I feel like just about any, you know, like leading actor could really pick up this role just because he's such a stoic character. You either play stoic or you play angry as hell. So, But also they have to be able to handle the physicality of oh, the well, role true. and, yes. you know, look the part, right? I mean, do you go like Aqua Bro with like Jason Momoa? Um, possibly. I mean, you could do Roman Reigns if you wanted. I feel like he can do it. Oh, there you go. Or what about, um, <laughs> what about, isn't Batista been rumored or like... At least yeah, fan it's a lot casting. of fan casting, yeah, yeah, for Batista. Yeah, although I feel like he's trying to get away from roles like that. Like he doesn't want to mm -hmm. get typecasted. So I wouldn't be surprised if he turned something like that down. What about uh, Alex Skarsgård? He's going to be in that upcoming Viking movie uh, by Agers. Yeah, The Northman. Yeah, um, I yeah, possibly he can do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean he's a great actor. So I still mm -hmm. don't understand why we don't see him in more films. I agree. Hopefully that changes for him. But what else do we got on the docket, Damon? All right, Christian. So this week we got a nice little surprise from the galaxy far, far away with an Obi-Wan series teaser trailer dropping. Jedi cannot help what they are. Their compassion leaves a trail. The Jedi Code is like an itch. He cannot help it. Where is he? So, Christian, they had me at Duel of Fates, man. Um, this, <laughs> this teaser was amazing. Uh, we open with Obi living on Tatooine, watching over a young Luke, literally through binoculars like a creep, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it feels like he's keeping his distance at least, um, you know, from this teaser, but who knows? I don't know how much he's really interacting with Luke, uh, but we see Luke is like daydreaming of being a pilot. It's just a pilot. He looks like he's pod racing there, Damon. <laughs> God, I hope we don't have another pod race in this series. <laughs> And this is a montage trailer, so we're not going to go beat for beat. But uh, during all this, like in the beginning, we hear Obi-Wan say, the fight is done, we lost. Um, I don't know who he could possibly be talking to uh, at this point. Maybe, you know, it's like through that beacon to the other Jedis that we see him yeah, that's in what I uh, Revenge of the Sith. But mm. I'm not sure. Uh, next, we see our first look at a live action Grand Inquisitor, uh, which was pretty fucking awesome. 
and we get a voiceover from him talking about the key to hunting Jedi, which is basically patience. Jedi can't help but being Jedi, so they'll eventually reveal themselves. Uh, all this pretty much confirms all our hopes and dreams. This is going to be a series about the legendary Jedi hunt. Finally, Jedi will die. <laughs> You're sick. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I'm here for it. Um, next, we see a badass ship going to what looks like could be the Inquisitor's base of operations. I know in their headquarters, the Inquisitors are known to bring captured Jedi to torture and possibly turn to the dark side. Uh, some people are pointing to a ship on the base that looks like it could possibly be Vader's in one shot. Um, but I don't know. I really couldn't make anything out. I, I don't know if you saw this, Christian. Yeah, I didn't recognize uh, Vader's classic interceptor, but I mean, you know, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't mind seeing I him. wouldn't be surprised if he's there, though. I mean, we know he's mm -hmm. part of the series. So but after we see the base, we get a glimpse of like an evil conference room from inside uh, where we see Reva who's the new Inquisitor that they're introducing into this series. Uh, also, we have the fifth brother from Rebels and another Inquisitor who I couldn't identify. Next, then, we see a shot of Reva on Tatooine uh, next to a hanging body, which was pretty fucking scary and badass all at the same time. And uh, we see Uncle Owen looking on. Yeah, it looks like they're just trying to draw out whatever Jedi might be near just by doing heinous acts around. You know, because they, as as uh, the Grand Inquisitor is stating, you know, Jedi want to be heroes. They have to try and save these lives. And, you know, clearly the Inquisitors are doing everything to bring them yeah, out. I mean, this teaser trailer basically is the Inquisitors on the hunt. So, yes. Um, next, we get another look at Obi-Wan being transported somewhere with a group of, you know, other Tatooines, I'm guessing. I don't know what they call Tatooines. Tatooinians. Tatooinians? <laughs> Tatooinians. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but yeah, I have no idea where he's headed. Maybe off planet. I mean, maybe he's answering the call from Bail Organa. We know that, you know, he's rumored to be part of the series. And we know that we're supposed to see some sort of interaction between Obi-Wan and a young Leia. Or he could be off to help the rumored new Jedi that's uh, supposed to be showing up. But anyway, after that, we see Reva and the Fifth Brother and that other Inquisitor on a Blade Runner-looking planet, Christian. Do you know what planet this is? It's this planet called Dayu. I don't think we've visited it before. I think it's brand new to Star Wars, so that's interesting. Well, anyway, they're with Stormtroopers, possibly searching for Obi-Wan, or maybe that uh, new Jedi that I was talking about that's been rumored to be part of the series. Next, we get a quick look at some droid with a Stormtrooper having a confrontation. I have no idea what this was about. Um, you know, it was a very brief moment, but I mean, obviously it's got some kind of importance or they wouldn't include it. Apparently Ned is what's written on it. I don't, I don't know how people have ciphered all this language. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> then we get a shot of the Grand Inquisitor again, wielding his signature lightsaber this time, interrogating someone. And then we see Reva cutting someone down back on Tatooine. So they are definitely on the hunt. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering how much is like Obi-Wan going to stand back to protect his own identity while all this massacre is going on around him. Well, speaking of which, we do see Reva in an alleyway having some sort of standoff with someone with a blaster. This could possibly be Obi-Wan since later on we do see him like shooting at her in another scene. And also in the comics, he refrains from using his lightsaber not to draw attention to himself. Mm -hmm. So it only kind of makes sense, even though we know he detests, you know, laser guns. 
So uncivilized. <laughs> then we close with Obi-Wan deep in thought as we hear more music cues from Revenge of the Sith. And I, I think you might be able to hear Vader breathing in the background. I don't know if you caught that. I did not catch Vader's breath, but I wouldn't be surprised. I might be hearing things, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I might be hearing things. But we do know Vader is showing up in this series. So, I mean, it could have been some foreshadowing, but whatever. Pretty awesome trailer, though. Now, I guess the question I have for you is, with how the internet definitely reacted, how did you feel about the Grand Inquisitor's uh, design? I'm fine with it, man. I don't need things to look <laughs> identical to the animated series, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I thought that was ridiculous. Like, so his head's not, right. like, perfectly shaped, you know, like the Grand Inquisitor in Rebels. It's okay. Well, I, I, I feel like I was able to identify him right away. Uh, like, I knew who it was supposed to be. So, I don't know. Man. I mean, to be honest, without the makeup, Rupert Friend already kind of looked like the Grand Inquisitor. So, <laughs> I, I, I was already behind the casting. I, I'm sure he'd love to hear that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't bump up against it at all. Um, I realized that, you know, things aren't going to translate exactly, you know, from, you know, the small screen animated form to the big screen live action form. So... Relax. I mean, I do think they could have gone a little heavier on the um, actual paint of the like his makeup, but, but everything it's else was one fine. shot though, so we don't know what yeah. it looks like really up close. I mean, you're more in tune to you know the internet and you know them being outraged about everything. What's were people okay with the way uh, Cad Bane looked in a uh, Boba Fett? I mean, day one, there were already people editing the image to look similar to the animated one, but it, I think for the most part, it was positive. Okay. You know, that's the vibe I got, at least. Because honestly, I thought he looked more menacing. So, I mean, maybe their <laughs> expectations are too high after that. It's, it's the same complaint that they had with Ahsoka, where, like, you know, they showed other Twi'leks with, um, you know, longer uh, um, Leku. Okay. And, you know, now she has it shorter because it's probably better for movement well, and, and stuff like that in the series. In Rebels, it was longer at the end. Exactly. So, so it's it's just those little things that, you know, are making the internet scream. So breathe, everyone. Breathe. It's going to uh -huh. be okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's my old age, but I just refuse to be outraged about, like, the small things anymore. Uh I mean, they're giving us, you know, a, a series with Vader hunting down Jedis, for God's sakes. <laughs> I mean, what else could you ask for? Well, Christian, because sometimes real life gets in the way. Unfortunately, I was not able to see the Batman this week, but you did. Yeah, I would have beaten up anyone that gotten in my way. So yeah, I'm not I I'm not it. punching my mother, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> My elderly mother. <laughs> you sick fuck. <laughs> I'm vengeance. <laughs> but, I mean, we do have, the rumor is we do have a Patreon in the works, so maybe we'll do some kind of, like, spoiler talk, you know, when that does eventually debut. The rumor, huh? <laughs> There's a rumor. <laughs> but once again, real life is getting in the way, so... <laughs> Warning spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for the Batman ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. Fear is a tool. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. 
When the Riddler, a sadistic serial killer, begins murdering key political figures in Gotham, Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption and question his family's involvement. The Batman's directed by Matt Reeves and stars Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, and Jeffrey Wright. From the first five minutes of The Batman, I felt a kind of like wave of nostalgia rush over me as it felt like I was watching a live action rendition of either Tom King's or Scott Snyder's Batman run. The tone, you know, just hits you as hard as Batman hits low level thugs and the characterization of a young Batman hit home from the jump. While we have seen bats, you know, use detective skills before in other films, this one, you know, swung at the crime noir genre perfectly with great cinematography and a simple yet effective five note score that encapsulated every emotion Bruce was feeling throughout the film. To get into Robert Pattinson's performance in general, as someone who kind of like, you know, personally joked early on how it seemed like this was a Batman that grew up listening to My Chemical Romance, which is very much true even after seeing this film. It didn't really take away from this, you know, year two Bat story, not even in the slightest. He isn't prepared to be, you know, the mask that is Bruce Wayne during the day, and he is very lost in his own need to be, you know, Gotham's vengeance, as that's just kind of what he believes will make a difference in this city. The arc Batman goes through by the end of this film, you know, teaches our young hero important lessons on what it will truly take to be the hero that Gotham needs. And I really think that Pattinson took that ball and just knocked it straight out the park, conveying feelings with just a glance and constantly studying his surroundings as he was always in Batman mode whether the cow was on or off. And while I was surprised that the film didn't go a little bit more into him finding his Bruce, I feel like in you know subsequent sequels we will get more of the Bruce Wayne facade as he learns more of how to you know, like actually play that part. Paul Dano as Riddler is definitely in my top five villain performances in live action Batflix. This more Zodiac you know serial killer version reminded me more of the you know more sinister character we would see in the comics and his riddles and Tess truly you know sold me on this take as I can see a future for this character where he may you know come more into the eccentric side of the Riddler later on but Matt Reeves did a fantastic job of really utilizing a more modern response to a guy uncovering the lies of the corrupt world which led to a more fun concept of Riddler than in, in previous films that we've gotten. However, the character I had the most issues with in this film, unfortunately, was Catwoman. While the performance from Zoe Kravitz I felt was solid, the story beats were weakened by their simplicity. Catwoman didn't have her edge in this film. And while you can argue this is her at a younger state, um, you know, still getting used to, you know, still getting into that kind of cat burglar self that we know her for, kind of paralleling Batman here in this film, there were still some choices that Selina made that felt way too out of character for me to let go but perhaps I'll dive more into that in a future spoiler review. But like I said earlier, cinematography was fitting of a dark night. Batman using fear as a weapon is elevated by the film's shot selection and lighting that allowed for Batman to creep through the dark. When the film does light up, it's with impact and purpose that really made for a truly enjoyable cinematic experience. And also like I stated earlier, the Batman theme, while simple, is just as impactful in its use throughout the entirety of this film. It's used to convey, you know, Batman's pain and anger. Though the best sound of the entire film really came from the Batmobile's introduction. My God, did that thing roar. Gotham in itself felt like, you know, the perfect blend
end of the grimiest parts of big cities like Chicago, LA, and New York filled to the brim with corruption. Reeves did a fantastic job with building this terrifying city and making it feel like a living, breathing thing that's more than just a set piece for our characters to fight upon. Action like you saw from the trailer is hard hitting, and Batman is not pulling any punches. While the ending fight, I would say, could have been a little bit more you know, visually stimulating, as it is a lot of dark figures fighting in dark spaces, I wasn't thrown off by any like bad camera choices or terrible effects being used in this film. Everything is pretty grounded on that front. But in the end, I think it's safe to say I quite enjoyed the Batman experience and its introduction to this version of Gotham. So for my grade, I'm going to be giving it a A-. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Manscaped. Ladies and gentlemen, can I get a round of applause? Today I'm excited to announce Manscaped's launched their Ultra Premium Collection. And believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for your everyday man, and it covers you from head to toe literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist, now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING. Fellas, there's more places on your body that stink than your balls. And of course, no one wants to be that smelly guy during convention season. We all know how essential the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 is for the precise trim below the waist. Their advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts to your most delicate areas. But now you can enhance your perfect grooming routine with their Ultra Premium Collection. This package includes Manscaped's premium deodorants. And no, that's not for your balls, it's for your stanky arms pits. This deodorant dries clear, is aluminum free, and smells like their signature scent. It also comes with hydrating body moisturizer. Have tattoos or issues with dry skin? It's designed to keep skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. Also, it comes with body wash to lather you up with their infused aloe vera and sea salt shower gel. And they also throw in a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to clean your scalp with an easy one step. Plus, they included a free gift, a three-pack set of lip balm that's made up of ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist. Right there, that's four products plus a gift inside the Ultra Premium Collection. What a score. All of these products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, vegan-friendly, and dye-free. The best ingredients with zero compromise. You know, we would like to recommend using the products in this order. Well, Christian, the first step will be hopping in the shower and scrub-a-dub-dub -dub that body with the Manscaped Body Wash. Second, you gotta lather that hair up with the two-in-one shampoo conditioner to keep your noggin toggin'. Then you've gotta dry off and spray that hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. Of course, you put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Pop that Manscaped lip balm on. No one is out here kissing chapped up lips. And you know, getting dressed after is of course optional, but you should wear one great scent all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get that ultra premium collection hot off the shelves. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. Manscaped.com. That's right, because the power of attraction is now in a bottle, thanks to Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. 
This past week in gaming, we got a state of play from Sony showcasing DLC and upcoming titles like Ghostwire Tokyo and Forspoken. Ghostwire coming out very soon showed off another great flashy trailer. But what really caught my eye at this month's you know state of play was Forspoken. It really had the most interesting gameplay trailer out of the bunch in my eyes. I have to say I wasn't fully sold on the game just yet. It looks absolutely massive, but I needed a trailer showing me a bit more of what I can do in this game. And I still feel that way even after this trailer, but this one, you know, actually focused on, you know, more of the traversal and abilities, giving us kind of a montage look at all the things you may be able to do as the main character Frey. We saw all different kinds of elemental abilities, all badass in their own right. While the gameplay also showed off some impressive lighting effects and animations that make every movement really pop on the screen. This game just looks like pure eye candy and it's of course an isekai story, so the weeb in me is definitely interested in Forspoken. However, the release of this game has been delayed and will come out on PS5 and PC October 11th this year. And honestly, with a game that looks this ambitious, I think I'd rather they take as much time as they need anyway. So, you know, Luminous, keep working. But listeners, if you're interested in more gaming, make sure you check us out on Twitch. We just started WWE 2K22 today on stream as this episode airs, so check that out as well as our continued playthroughs in Elden Ring and Jedi Fallen Order. Now, let's move on to wrestling. Um Seriously, my man, you know, Steve Austin ain't here, dog, relax. So anyway, 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 you know what gave me the courage? And this is me not kissing your people's asses. But when I had four separate people come up to me and tell me that they didn't end themselves because they read my Players Tribune article, did you really think I was going to miss that pay-per-view for them? Do you understand? After the match, I went to my hotel room, and you can make fun of me all you want, but trust me, I'll still beat you up. I cried in my hotel room because I wanted to make those people proud. Not you, not me, them. All right, Christian, so we're coming off a huge weekend for AEW with their pay-per-view revolution in the books. Let's go ahead and review the card and talk about some of the aftermath. So, Damon, you actually watched some of the pre-show this time around. Can you believe it? I mean, the pre-show was even stacked, man. <laughs> I mean, Layla Hirsch defeated Chris Statlander, which was a really good match. A uh, match I actually kind of enjoyed more than a uh, women's match on the main card, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, we had Hook defeating QT Marshall. I'm really high on Hook. Uh, he looks phenomenal. They're doing a great job of accentuating his strengths. Uh, you know, and really just protecting him right now. So uh, he's got all the potential in the world, though. And lastly, we had House of Black, first death triangle with Eric Redbeard standing in for uh, Phoenix. Uh, great match. I mean, a match that would be on any other pay-per-view card, you know, on the main card, at least. Uh, so it was kind of bizarre to see this as the, you know, buy-in match. But I mean... It definitely did not disappoint, and I mean, it was definitely worth watching. So if you didn't watch the pre-show, I highly recommend checking it out. But House of Black did go over. So um, I really loved what Eric Redbeard did in this match. Uh, he looks to be in great shape, and he was really, sh you know, 
clicking on all cylinders. Uh, I wouldn't be disappointed if, you know, Tony Khan did not offer him a contract, but it seems like it was kind of a one shot type deal. I mean, it's not like they don't have enough shows right now to really put him on yeah. uh, with Ring of Honor joining the or fray. Or even put him with the Dark Order. Right. I mean, he's got the connection mm-hmm. to Brody Lee and everything. He's well spoken. Like we saw him in that program with Daniel Bryan and what he could do on the mic, which was a huge revelation to everyone. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the guy is a five tool player. I mean, I don't know. Put him in, coach. Come on, Tony. He's ready to play. <laughs> Well, the first match on the actual card when this when the show started was Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho with Eddie Kingston getting the big one over Jericho by submission. Finally, um, honestly, this is one of my matches of the night. We're just saying a lot because this was an amazing pay-per-view. I love how hard hitting this match was. I mean, the way they opened with Kingston dropping Jericho on his fucking head, which yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hate personally. But at the same time, it just kind of added this layer of realism because the way they booked the match was, you know, he gets dropped on his head. He rolls out of the ring, you know, and takes a break. You see the ref protecting him, you know, kind of fending off Kingston um, where it looked like they were really trying to give Jericho a moment to, like, gather himself. And maybe they were, but it made it feel real. Because then, like, once they got into the corner after Jericho got back in the ring, Jericho just straight, like, punches kingston in the fucking eye um you know and which ends up being part of the storyline with jericho working over his injured orbital bone um but at the time when this happened it felt like a receipt almost right (laughs) i was like Uh did he just punch him for real because i mean and if you saw kingston's face later on i mean he was straight up punching him in the fucking face you know but obviously it was something talked about beforehand it was part of the you know the story that they were trying to tell but, I mean, he definitely wasn't pulling his punches, man. Like, it looked like fucking no. Cactus Jack after fighting uh, Vader back in the late 90s. <laughs> no, it was a brutal match. And, I I mean, it, you could tell that Kingston knows how to do the move. It wasn't like a mistake because every time, every other time he did it in the match, he was perfectly holding the neck, making sure the head landed yeah. or on the shoulder and stuff like oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and then Jericho started dropping <laughs> Kingston on his head, which, I mean... And I know uh, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. <laughs> Makes for a really exciting match because it feels more real. But for me, it's like, is the risk worth the reward? Like, I feel like there's another way you could kind of tell that story without risking possible paralysis. Right. I mean, maybe they went to the, you know, pro wrestling school of Kota Ibushi and learned how to <laughs> land on their heads. Right. And, you or know, they, they, got. they got like some kind of rubber neck implant or something. Uh-huh, yeah. Exactly. Sure. <laughs> Jericho's 50. <laughs> Stop falling on your head, Chris, please. Uh, but anyway, this was a fantastic match. I mean, Kingston's just on a roll. I mean, what he had the feud with Brian, which was an amazing match. And then Punk and now this. I mean, this was great. Um you know, I'm glad he got the big win finally, and that is what ends up turning Jericho completely heel as we see him break up the inner circle the next night. And we're not going to dive too much into the aftermath just because of time constraints. But yeah, he breaks up the inner circle um, after he has this heartfelt handshake in the ring, um, you know, after he refused to shake his hand initially on the pay-per-view itself, even though that was agreed upon, um, he shakes Kingston's hand in the ring after Kingston gives this 
beautiful speech about how, like, you know, his anxiety almost got the best of him, and he almost didn't show up to the pay-per-view, but he did it for the fans. I mean, it was great stuff. And Jericho actually looks, like, legitimately, like, teary-eyed <laughs> during the speech. Uh, but then, yeah, no, he ends up, you know, betraying Kingston, hitting him with a bat, joining forces with 2.0 and Jake Hager to form the Jericho Appreciation Society, uh, J-A-S. Uh, which is much easier to say. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, after, you know, the beatdown and everything, he got on the mic and said, that's entertainment. So I'm guessing this is supposed to be like some kind of like sports entertainer gimmick. I mean, Kingston did bring that up in that first like promo back and forth uh, that Jericho's mm-hmm. a sports entertainer and he doesn't want that side of him. Well, now it seems like Jericho's going to really like lead into it. And like 2.0 are like the perfect henchmen for Jericho to do that with because they're just straight comedy. I mean, I hope they go like super Canadian on us. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to see the guys like dress up like the Mountie or anything, but I mean, just get insanely Canadian. I think that'd be incredibly entertaining to watch. No, this new faction really is going to jazz things up over at AEW. But yeah, I agree. I really do love this match. and I love everything that Eddie Kingston's been, you know, able to accomplish so far. I just wonder if he's going to like hold on to this victory and be able to get a bunch more and maybe see him in a possible title match in the future. Because I, I definitely want to see him eventually rise to the top of AEW just to see what that would look like with him at a possible massive title feud. Honestly, I think he's probably one of the hottest baby faces they have right now in the company. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see that in his future. Um, if not this year, honestly. So, I mean, if not the, you know, world title, at least, a, you know, TNT title run, that's 100% believable. Well, up next, we had a three-way tag team match for the AEW World Tag Team Championship between Jurassic Express, Red Dragon, and the Young Bucks. Uh, I thought this was an incredibly exciting match. Uh, I'm glad that Jurassic Express didn't kind of get lost in the fold. They were able to hold their own. Because uh, that was kind of one of my worries going into this match with it being a three team match, um, mm-hmm. a three way dance, if you will, uh, you know, which I still don't understand why it had to be a three way dance, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. And I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing where this whole, you know, saga between the super elites and basically the undisputed era, you know, ends up going. I mean, you know me, I. I personally hate three-way tag team matches. Uh, I just I can't stand having two teams in the ring when there's three, and you know why would you ever tag the other team and stuff like that? But I got, but this one worked because you got that storyline where Red Dragon and Young Bucks are trying to work together, and obviously that wasn't going to you know work in the not, end. Not last very long. Was, <laughs> no, exactly. The way that they did the match in general just felt like Mad Max Fury Road where they had that perfect three-way you know, fight style the entire time. It just never slowed down at certain points. You know, It was just so intense now, by the end of the it. The Bucks don't get enough credit for their storytelling skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are some of the best storytellers in the business right now. I know a lot of people like to hang this whole idea that they're just spot monkeys you know, around their necks, but I mean, that's not the case at all. If you actually sit back and are a true fan and watch the Young Bucks, you know that couldn't be anything further from the truth. Um, all they do is storytelling. So, uh-huh. I mean, that's just complete bullshit. But anyway, my rant's over. Um, yeah, no, amazing match. Amazing match. Which, I mean, 
I'm not surprised by it, right? Well, then up next, we had the Face of the Revolution ladder match that featured Wardlow, Christian Cage, Keith Lee, Orange Cassidy, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Ricky Starks. Uh, Wardlow, of course, getting the brass ring and now has a title opportunity for the, the TNT Championship. It felt like sometimes they got a little lost and there was way too much like slow ladder climbing for me going on, <laughs> um, which just drives me nuts in these matches. Uh, but yeah, no, at one point Cassidy ends up getting hurt and I think that really fucked things up and people were trying to figure out what to do without Cassidy. Um, you know, it was towards the tail end of the match, but like mm -hmm. you could tell people were a little confused, like exactly where they were supposed to go next without him in the match. So, um, but yeah, no, there was just a few moments that just defied logic for me. And it was hard for me to kind of like look past, like at one point, uh, Wardlow is in the ring by himself and you know he gets out of the ring instead of trying to climb up the ladder and literally yeah. <laughs> just starts picking people up and punching them i was like what are you fucking doing and the announcers try to cover for him you know which they did a pretty good job that he's just like lost in the moment and enraged but i don't know man i, I was invited also after the <laughs> moment with uh lee um falling through the table was it uh, with a powerhouse uh, with Hobbs, yeah. yeah you go back to the ring and you're seeing christian putting together some kind of weird ladder contraption instead of fucking climbing up the ladder and grabbing the belts <laughs> <laughs> and maybe he thought he was off camera so i i don't know but it just i don't know the match was okay and it had some really cool spots but overall a little clunky this this year at least i mean most multi-man matches i mean this past two years in general have felt kind of clunky altogether, but this one, I do agree with you. There was, there was plenty of moments where our superstars should have been at least trying to don't, get the brass ring. Christian. Oh, I'm sorry. Come it's, on, Vince. it's programmed into me. <laughs> I don't know. Do you uh, really feel like a lot of the multi-man matches are, have been clunky? I feel like they've done a pretty good job with ladder matches. At least of late. I don't know. I have I haven't really been in love with any of the ladder matches we've gotten. Like even with like Cody versus Sammy, I wasn't like super into the match, but it had a oh, plenty of great. See, moments I thought in that it. match was amazing. So. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I mean that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean there was the whole thing with Danhausen where like they showed him on camera uh -huh. before he. I think he. I don't know if he missed his cue. I don't know if his cue had to do with Orange Cassidy, so he just got out early, or it was a camera issue. But yeah, no, it just, I don't know, everything was kind of throwing me off and I was just bumping up against it, I guess. But, you know, I mean, they got where they needed to go, which was, you know, Wardlow holding the fucking weird golden donut over his head at the end of the match, which uh -huh. I hate. It looks like a fucking hemorrhoid pillow to me. So I don't, <laughs> it's like, can we do, can we hang something else above the ring? Like, I, I know you don't want it to look too much like money in the bank, which this is pretty much, you know, is, uh -huh. but like, just do a contract. You know, like, it doesn't need to be some weird fucking golden ring. I mean, it's not like gold ring is in the title of the the gimmick match. So I don't know. No, yeah, it should be like the brass ring ladder match. You can, I don't know why it is You could that. do a contract <laughs> and not have a briefcase, right? Yes. So, and it's not like where it's completely like money in the bank where you just cash it in at any time. So, but whatever. Um, you know, it was okay. I, I also, I wish they had more moments for Keith Lee to shine, too. 
Yes. You know, I mean, I definitely thought he would have a bigger performance in this match, especially like when they were doing all the stuff at the um, top of the ramp. I thought that was going to be you know a huge moment for Keith Lee. And even that felt just like, you know, Hobbs was getting over both of them for most of that. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really get to shine. That's too a much. good point. That's a good point. I mean, Keith Lee did have the moment where he literally like lawn darted Orange Cassidy <laughs> across yeah, the yeah, arena. Okay. But unfortunately, Orange ended up getting hurt. So <laughs> that kind of put a little dark cloud over that moment. So uh-huh. uh, but yeah, no, we'll see. I mean, I just get worried when it feels like sometimes when AEW debuts new wrestlers, they kind of get lost in the fold. Um, I'm hoping that's not going to be the case with Lee because he just deserves more. But anyway, this means that Wardlow is going to get a shot at the TNT title. um, And that's going to be coming up this week at the, what do they call it? The Shamrock Bash or something. I I don't know. Whatever. Uh, (laughs) It's happening this Wednesday, but uh, you know, and he's going to be actually facing off against the brand new TNT champion, Scorpio sky. Now, at first I was thinking, okay, they put the belt on sky. So, you know, Wardlow's beating a, you know, heel to win the title, you know, to kind of like, you know, get him as much fan backing as possible. Cause I could see some fans, you know, turning on him because, you know, since he's defeating Sammy, but the more I think about it, and after the promo that Wardlow cut on Wednesday, which was actually really good, it was really long, and it's probably the longest promo he's ever cut. But I mean, he did a great job. I'm really telling his story, and you know, he got over with the crowd, which all that—that's all that really matters. So, um, but anyway, I could see MJF though interfering in this match somehow and really costing him the title. Whereas before I was really concerned about Scorpio being a transitional champion because I, I feel like he deserves more. I mean, I mean, Jesus Christ, he's been undefeated in single matches for a year, which is crazy that he's just now getting a title shot. So, I mean, let the guy have a run, right? Um, so I, I really feel like they're going to keep the TNT title on, you know, Scorpio and let Wardlow and MJF do their own thing, which I'm fine with. Like if... Like, if they had given him a month, maybe, to, like, battle the belts, too, or whatever, and then had the Wardlow match, then I might have seen Wardlow get the win, like, right off the bat. But the fact that it's so soon, yeah. Yeah, no, right? Up next, we have the Women's AEW TBS Championship match between Jade Cardgill and Ty Conti. Uh, Jade Cardgill, of course, retaining the title. You gotta love the uh, Mortal Kombat cosplay, right, Christian? Oh, yeah. Love all the video game references and Revolution this year. Right? Um, I thought this was a pretty solid match. Uh, You could see the growth, you know, with Jade and Ty, honestly. I do feel Mm. like at times Ty's making the rookie mistake of, you know, trying to get all of her shit in uh, (laughs) in every one of her matches. Um, Mm. I wish she would kind of like, you know, breathe a little in between, you know, moves. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was almost like she was trying to like put a like 20 minute match in, you know, six minutes. That's what it felt like to me. And she's not across the ring from like Sasha Banks here. Who's going to be able to handle that. It's Jade Cargill. So I mean, exactly. I mean, she'll get there eventually, but Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I mean, less is more sometimes. So, but anyway, I mean, the match was solid, you know, it continued to get Jade over. I mean, she's a star. And the crowd's getting really behind her now. So you think a face run is, you know, inevitable for Jade or? I think so. I think eventually she'll probably turn on a smart mark 
and, you know, go mm. on her own. And I mean, it, it feels like the crowd is basically turning her face at this point, especially with the streak. I mean, everyone loves a streak, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Up next, we have the dog collar match between CM Punk and MJF. CM Punk getting the win. This was another contender for match of the night for me, at least. Uh, great storytelling. Punk coming out in his ROH gear, you know, to his, you know, classic ROH theme song. Uh-huh. I mean, an amazing moment. I mean, this was the blood fest that we all knew it was going to be. Um, you know, it felt like at points they were starting to lose the crowd a little. I mean, it was like a, you know, 26 minute match. Um, and, you know, the dog chain does kind of hinder the action of the ring at times. Uh, but I loved every second of it. I mean, I don't know. I'm just a sucker for gore, I guess. <laughs> just all don't those worry, visuals I... of the bloody mats and uh-huh. you know, punk dripping blood. Uh, and I just thought the way that the match ended was pitch perfect story wise with Wardlow finally turning his back on MJF, you know, with those storylines kind of intertwining, you know, this entire program. It made perfect sense. So and I mean, I mean, you got to love the reaction the crowd gave Wardlow when he set the ring down on the mat, you know, basically, you know, saying fuck you to MJF. I mean, amazing. Oh, that's how heroes are made, Damon. Uh, but my, my favorite ba- moment of the match for sure was when they were like in the corner next to the crowd and you just get bloody CM Punk's face right next to this smiling, happy child in the crowd (laughs) cheering it on. I was like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Front row, huh? That's good parenting. (laughs) No, I absolutely loved it too. I was just as captivated by all the violence, of course. I think there was only really one moment that actually caught me off, which when they got, you know, tied up with the ropes right before uh, being dropped to the outside. That was about it. Yeah, they got a little lost there. They're like, oh shit, what do we do? Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I just thought this was a great bow on a feud that I feel like is going to go down in the books as a classic. All right, up next we had the AEW Women's World Championship match with Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, defeating Thunder Rosa and holding on to her title one more time. This time, uh, way too much interference. I mean, there's been a lot of interference in her matches, but Jesus yeah. Christ. I mean, <laughs> I also felt like they're both a little off this match, too. And there mm-hmm. was a rumor out there that Thunder Rosa was actually injured uh, prior to the match. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if that kind of played a part in it. But, I mean, maybe that wasn't true. She denied that. Uh, but, I mean, I hated this match at the time. I'll be honest. But after we got the announcement of Thunder Rosa getting, you know, a number one contender sh- uh, match on dynamite and then finding out that was all going to lead to her getting a uh, cage match with Britt Baker uh, at the upcoming dynamite shamrock, whatever shuffle or bash or whatever the hell they're calling it, (laughs) (laughs) which is actually in her hometown. It all kind of made sense. I was like, okay, I understand where you're going with that. It just felt like they had to sacrifice the pay-per-view match to get her moment, you know, in her hometown in a cage match where she probably will finally win that title and defeat Britt Baker. You know, and I guess it's like, I think it's actually a year exactly from their um, Lights Out match. Oh, really? Okay, that's yeah, right. Cool. So, th- I mean, that's some awesome storytelling. I-, I can't complain about that. But now if she loses, I'm definitely going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I just feel like it's time. You know, to take the belt off of Brett. Not mm-hmm. that she's not doing a great job as champion. It just feels like it's getting a little stale. No, I could see the crowd starting to 
possibly turn on her if she continues to get wins, especially like this. You know, I don't know. I, I feel like the cage match is the right way to go. That way they you know, have the excuse to keep yes, everyone exactly. else out. And they'll probably get as bloody as possible as well. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's perfect, right? It's it, Britt's mm. been holding on to that belt because of all the outside interference from her group. So I mean, this is the perfect way for them to finally, you know, get that belt off of her and you know put a button on this story. But all right, up next we had John Moxley going over Brian Danielson um, to possibly become French. <laughs> <laughs> um. God, I love this fucking match, man. Um, <laughs> once again, another contender for match of the night. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> these guys just brutalized each other. It was a tale of two different styles um, that just worked so perfectly together. Um, I could watch this match like another another 20 minutes of it at least. So it went about 20 minutes, I think. Uh, but yeah, and they just at the end having Regal show up as the big surprise and just slapping some sense in both of them. And now they're tagging uh, together uh, with Regal as their manager. Beautiful, beautiful, man. Yes. I mean, just everything I wanted and then some. I mean, I didn't see Regal showing up, so. No, not yeah. at all. <laughs> it's going to be weird to have him as a mouthpiece just because you've got two guys who are great on the microphone. But whatever, I'll take it. Um, I hope they do end up adding to this little group, you know, uh, with wrestlers like, you know, Daniel Garcia, even though he's part of, you know, Jericho's little faction now. Or um, maybe even someone like Hook or Layla Hirsch. You know, those kind of like gritty, highly skilled wrestlers that would just fit like perfectly in the fold with Moxley and Danielson. So, yeah, no, I mean, probably my match of the night, honestly. I mean, I was thinking it was my match of the night. Just, I mean, it was so hard hitting. And these two, I, I feel like even with Regal there to talk for them, they'll still get in their promo times. I, it, would, it would be stupid of them not to still get their own individual promos when they you know get a chance yeah. to on the separate shows. So. Especially Moxley. I mean, he's been probably mm-hmm. one of the best guys on the microphone the last couple of years. Like, he doesn't get enough credit of how great he's been promo-wise. So, I mean, Danielson's always been fantastic, but Moxley's just been killing it on the mic. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, ma- my match of the night. There, I said it. But it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard to choose, though. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. I mean, Eddie Kingston versus Jericho was fantastic. And we'll, I mean, we still got a couple more matches to talk about, but this was definitely like it was on another MJF level. and CM yes. Punk, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I mean, it just shows you how stacked their roster is that they can put on these shows consistently like of this caliber. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last three pay-per-views have just been just, I mean, legendary. It's a hell of a run. Well, speaking of a hell of a run, we have Sting continuing on his career somehow in a six-man tornado tag team match uh, with his good friend Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara going up against AHFO. Andrade, <laughs> Matt Hardy, and Cassidy. <laughs> this was the one match where I probably could have done without, like, on the card. Um, it was fine. It was fun. It was more spectacle mm. than anything. I mean, Jesus Christ. Someone needs to sit down with Sting and just talk to him. Like, listen, man, we love you. 
you've done enough. It's okay. Like you don't need to throw yourself off balconies anymore. You know, no three tables is uh, a little Just too much. <laughs> stand out there in the trench coat, whack some motherfuckers with your baseball bat, and call it a night. Like I'm good. Like I don't want to see him kill himself. Like maybe once every like four or five months, but not every week like this. <laughs> it's getting to be too much. I, I don't need him doing the new Jack dive. You know, uh, every paper. Uh-huh. So, but anyway, <laughs> I mean. This was all basically setting up for the what the hell did you call them the A I, I, I the name is just ridiculous the L the A it's Andrade Hardy family office so A H F O wow that just rolls off the tongue um yeah well uh-huh. it was basically <laughs> setting up them turning on Matt on Dynamite which happened and then of course his brother Jeff made his AEW debut. Um, you know, as he danced his way down the ramp as Matt was getting killed in the ring, <laughs> which was it is what it is. It's Jeff Hardy. So it was forgivable because it just feels like something he would do, you know, story wise anyway. Mm-hmm. But it was a nice moment. And we've got the Hardy boys reunited. So, I mean, I guess the payoff was worth it. I mean, I can't wait for the Hardy boys versus whatever Moxley and Brian are going to call themselves. Yeah, <laughs> right. There's just so many dream matches now. That you know, mm-hmm. the Hardys, you know, with AEW. So um, their tag team division just continues to be astonishing. And, you know, with Hardy finally out of this, uh, I, you know, they just signed Swerve to AEW. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he would be a great fit to work with Private Party and Andrade. I think that would be a great faction if he has to join a faction. I mean, because every single wrestler seems to need to be that in a faction. That seems to be the case, nowadays. right? <laughs> um, it's very uh-huh. New Japan. No, I think that could definitely work. I, I wouldn't mind that. Uh, he's been a heel on the indie scene since he's left uh, mm-hmm. WWE, and he's a great heel, so why not? I definitely like the crowd reaction, too. They actually like knew his like saying and everything yes. was perfect. Yes, whose house, right? Well, with that, we get to our main event of the evening, AEW World Heavyweight Championship on the line between Hangman Adam Page and Adam Cole, with Adam Page going over Cole. I think any other pay-per-view, this would be considered the match of the night. But it just happened to be on a card with, you know, some matches that are probably going to go down as, you know, AEW all-time greats. So, um, but it, it shouldn't get lost in the shuffle because this was a fantastic match. To me, at first, it felt like the crowd wasn't so into it with kind of like the silly chants and everything going back and forth. I mean, it was a long pay-per-view. I get it. But eventually, you know, these two fucking incredibly talented wrestlers won them over. And I mean, the crowd was on like their feet at the end of the match. So it, I did find it interesting, though, because it felt like Hangman was kind of losing the crowd, like they were you know, starting to turn on him. Do you think that was the fans not being completely sold on Hangman? Or do you think that was, you know, them just being really into Adam Cole? I feel like it's Adam Cole's popularity, especially since it seemed to happen as soon as he started using Cole's moves to get mm-hmm. the win. Yeah, you know, when he tied I, him up on uh, to the ropes, you know, yeah. uh, which, you know, Cole did to Paige, you know, uh, the dynamite before. So you would think the crowd would, you know, be okay with it, but they weren't. <laughs> there was definitely a, a portion of the crowd that started booing. Him. I was, I was all for the um, "Let's go, Adam Adam" sucks uh, chance. I, 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 I thought those were I fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but they did eventually turn uh, to you know, "Let's go, Hangman." You know, so yes. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I thought this was a great match. I did like you know 
the wrinkles they added with you know the dark order you know getting involved and the red and red dragon and everything with Paige getting frustrated with the dark order and you know pushing mm. them and you know we'll see what that all you know ends up leading to um you know even Paige's gear was very like young buck inspired and they even did like a bit about that on being the elite so it feels like they're laying out a lot of obvious breadcrumbs that will point to like them eventually reuniting together i'll just be interested to see how kenny factors in you know when he does make his comeback um Mm -hmm. but that might not be till the summer so they've got some time it looks like unfortunately uh but yeah no it, it seems like this feud is going to continue cole came out after Paige's match against uh dante martin uh, which was a pretty good match, and it was just kind of like thrown together last minute. It felt like they didn't announce it till like the day of, which is very un AEW like. Um, but maybe that's something we're gonna see more of from them. Maybe they feel like the show's getting too predictable, or I don't know. Um, but I don't know. It, it was it was a fine match, but Cole came out and challenged Paige to a six man tag, which was weird. <laughs> Uh, but it was more it seemed like more mind games because he was hinting that his partners were young and that they were better friends to him than they are to, you know, Adam Page, which was weird. <laughs> but then we had a backstage segment that had the Bucks basically turning down the offer to team up with Cole and Cole trying to play it off like he meant the Red Dragon the entire time. It just was very, mm. like, I don't know, CW. I was waiting for, like, Dawson and Pacey <laughs> to show up. So, I don't know. Um, well, I was almost half expecting him to pick, you know, one person from the Bucks and one person from Red Jagger. Oh, yeah, being, like, diplomatic and shit? Yeah. I could see uh-huh. that, right? That'd be smart. Um, yeah, that doesn't seem to be the case, though. And then you have Paige. He's got his drama with uh, Dark Order because instead of, like, choosing them to be his teammates, he chose Jurassic Express. Um, And they had this awkward moment backstage where, you know, Dark Order felt very dejected. So, well, he wants a winning team. So (laughs) I was definitely thinking that. So, (laughs) And I'm sure he was, too. Uh Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like as the world turns, it's a little soap opery, if you ask me. But I mean, that's really what wrestling is, right? It's just, you know, a soap opera with, you know, men rolling around in their underwear. So. But like you said, I enjoyed most of the, you know, big spots in this match. You know, the storytelling was fantastic. We've been seeing these two go at it for the last month. It still feels very fresh to have them continue on. And we'll see that more as the shows continue. Yeah, um, I don't. I felt like this was a good starting. Yeah, point. Yeah, and I don't expect this to go to the next pay-per-view. I feel like the blow off will no. be, <laughs> you know, probably on TV. So, um, yeah, I, I just I'm just curious to see who the next contender for the world title is going to end up being. Because I don't know if you noticed, but after the dog collar match with CM Punk and MJF, Punk did make a title motion. Well, I mean, yeah, get it out of the way. I don't want him to win the title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a little unfair for, you know, Hangman and everything. But I mean, on Dynamite, mm. Punk did cut a promo that was supposed to take place, I guess, after the dog collar match. And I'm paraphrasing. He basically said MJF, like, has awoken something in him. So, I mean... Maybe we see a, a heel turn from Punk? Or will Punk facilitate a heel turn for, uh, you know, Paige? I wouldn't be opposed to that. I mean, it would make sense then why they're doing what they're doing with him in the Dark Order. Because mm-hmm. it just feels unnecessary unless they were going to possibly tease some kind of heel turn from Paige. 
like you could just have the Dark Order be an afterthought, not involve them whatsoever, and just have all the drama between Paige and the Bucks. I mean, if you're going to keep Paige babyface, um, or maybe hell, maybe it's the Dark Order that's going to turn heel. Who knows? But anyway, um, Hangman Page, who's heel, would be interesting. It'd be different. Um, and that way you don't have to turn the Bucks babyface, right? Because I love the Bucks' as heels, so <laughs> I really want to keep this mm-hmm. version of the Bucks around. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see what Tony Khan you know, has in store for us. I, guess. I could also see an angle where the Dark Order turns to Punk for leadership. You know, I could see that happening as a possibility, especially since all of his, you know, promos I have been in. I don't see Punk and Colt Cabana being on screen together anytime soon. Oh, yeah. I forgot unless, about that. <laughs> unless Colt, like, leaves the group or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> but who knows? I mean, they're professionals, right? Well, either way, Damon, we got to the end of the card, and we haven't done this in a while, actually. What is your star rating oh, God. for this event? Well, Christian, I think I'm going to go ahead and give AEW's Revolution four and three quarter stars. It was almost <laughs> the perfect pay-per-view. Almost. I mean, definitely top five for AEW. I'm going to go a little bit easier on the math, and I'm going to say four and a half. <laughs> but I agree Fair with enough. the of it. Fuck math. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely. I mean, like I said, I mean, I think it's one of their best pay-per-views of all time in, in their young history. They've got a lot of momentum right now. I mean, with a streak of great pay-per-views, let's see if they can follow up uh, with another great card for Double or Nothing. Yeah, let's see if they can double down. I hate you. <laughs> God damn it. I knew that was coming too. <laughs> well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, that does it for this week. That's right. Make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest in nerd culture and a whole lot more. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Not to worry, we are still flying half a ship.